Alright everybody, welcome to Back in Toon Star Wars Special. We'll be discussing the Ewoks cartoon, droids, the Ewoks movies, and uh, if you guys listen to our other podcast, Video Night, you'll notice that we had a meltdown while, while discussing the prequels, and some of the stuff kind of farted out of, you know, Jacob's brain or whatever, and uh, we're going to talk about them now. But uh, I am your host, Michael, and of course my regular co-host. Hello, Jacob. It's Jacoby Kenobi. Alright, so... Here. And I'm still angry about the prequels. <laughs> I think uh, many, a lot of people are. All right, so we were talking about the prequels. There was a couple of things that really bugged you. Let's get them out of the way now before we start talking about the cartoons. Go ahead. Two more things. It was continuity damage. You know how, you know, Luke in Return of the Jedi, before he goes off to, you know, face Vader, he's talking to Leia, and he asks Leia if she remembered her real mom. She did. You know, she died when she was very young. So that right there says she knew Padme. She knew Padme Amidala. But in episode three, she dies in childbirth. What the fuck was that? Yeah. That was bullshit. Damaged the continuity completely. George Lucas, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> okay, and one more other, th- and hey, one more thing about old Obi Wan. You know when he sees in episode four when we first see him, and then Luke tells him he's like, yeah, this droid tells me he belongs to you. He's like, I certainly don't remember ever owning a droid. <laughs> he pretty much just, he pretty much just said, I don't know who this droid is. This guy's a fucking weirdo. Yeah, like he never even met R two before. And yet, he knew R2 throughout the entire prequel. What the fuck? I don't Another know. It's not, it's not like he took a blow to the head. So, And it wasn't like he was hiding, because clearly he was like, yeah, I'm a Jedi. Yeah, he was a hermit. I mean, he wasn't necessarily hiding just yet, but he was out in the wastelands by himself alone. So nobody could have told he was a Jedi. Never really went into town. He just hid away, listening to the Force. Communicating. Speaking of Wastelands, and then, did you uh, see that uh, Mad Max has been getting some serious awards? Oh, yes, I have. Oh, my God, dude. I'm not surprised. That Does was that a great fucking... that we're finally embracing genre films as Academy-worthy films? I mean, we did it a little bit with Lord of the Rings, but do you think that Star Wars, if it is good enough, has the possibility of being nominated for Best Picture? Of Oscar buzz? Well, hey, it did back in 77, the very first one. So, and plus, George Lucas got, you know, nominated for Best Director for uh, Star Wars, too. So, hey, it just might be. It would be nice if the studios would pay attention to the fact that there are some extremely intelligent genre films out there that get a lot ideas, uh, more ideas across than some of the Oscar bait movies, you know? Some of the ones that are clearly, like, hammer on the head, we got the point, this is supposed to be a serious topic. It's kind of cool that you can see it in some genre films. Like uh, I think one of the best examples is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Each one has been a commentary on something going on in social, you know, uh, um, world. You know, at that time, you know, communism in the fifties. You know, uh, loss of who you are post Vietnam and the nineties. You know, the overwhelming control of the government. True. And then there was also, and of course, the whole zombie, zombie movies themselves, it's more like a huge social movement. Right. How it's embra- kind of embracing equality. You know, the zombies don't discriminate. But, I mean, yeah, change is kind of a scary thing. But going through, I mean, yeah, it might be a painful transition, but in the end, it's like, wow. I don't know why we didn't do this in the first place. Yeah. Uh, minus the whole, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, minus the whole, you know, flesh-eating, biting, and, you know, dying part. That sucks. So, you were you finished with the prequel stuff? I feel like I interrupted you there. Well, I just wanted to say one more thing. About, you know, Darth Vader. You know how when Obi-Wan's fighting him, he says, you can't win Darth? He's calling him Darth as if it's his actual name. It's not like a Sith Lord title. Right. I know. So, yeah, basically, that kind of got lost along the way afterwards. It was, it, it was weird. 
But anyway, that's about it. <laughs> now let's get on to the fucking cartoons. All I want right. to talk about these. Oh my god. Um. So after Star Wars, I'm sorry. After Return of the Jedi, you know the Star Wars series didn't exactly know where it was going. Are we going to see the next three parts? You know, is it going to be sequels? Is it going to be prequels? And it took a very, very long time to get those prequels. But in that time, Lucasfilm decided to give us two live-action Ewok movies. I, I would say the second one's a lot better than the first one. The first one, the special effects are pretty weak, and the story isn't very... It doesn't move. The second one is all action-packed, wild, crazy, great special effects. And have you seen the live-action Ewok movies? I did, yes. The first movie, I mean, what was that? There was that one kid, Dash, who was trying to find... They were trying to find their parents, rescuing from the these giants yeah and of course we get to you know we get to like you know revisit all the old ewoks of course wicked you know none of them spoke english so there was kind of a language barrier Star they basically had to kind of like in, in point what they were doing that's the only word i think you ever said it was well, star cruiser in sindel oh yeah that's right yeah that, that little kid actress playing sindel i mean come on seriously i mean i know i mean you know it's tough being an actor as a kid but seriously coughing you act, acting all sick. I'm like, come on, kid. Seriously, <laughs> we might have to actually get her sick in order to get that to sell that scene. You know, the it was very time, dull. The first time I saw the uh, original Ewoks movie, I remember because it was the day we bought our first VCR, and we were gonna go home and record it, and somehow we forgot. To you know, I don't know how that happened. It was like, oh, it's gonna start in an hour, and then we find ourselves at home like too caught up in the fact that we just got a VCR, like. When did that movie start? Oh god, we gotta start. We gotta watch it right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, dude, that's that's. I'm so, uh, well. I mean, honestly, you didn't really miss too much. Yeah, the first one was kind of garbage, and you could tell it was filmed like near uh, Skywalker Ranch or the Red Marin Redwoods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, you look at Return of the Jedi. Like, oh my god, it, it does have an entire different feel. Like where all the locations they went to and everything they, you know, all the all the uh, principal photography, but. Uh, yeah, no, like, this was just, you could even tell. I mean, I'm pretty sure if they go through one batch of trees, you could see a highway or a street or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, first one was kind of like getting to know them and saving the parents. And then the second one, yeah, it was, it got pretty dark, like, right at the beginning. I'm like, damn. Oh, yeah, the battle for Endor, almost everybody dies. It's really brutal. I know. I mean, there's Dash at the beginning. You know, Mom's already dead. Paul Gleason's the dad trying to fix up the ship they're almost ready to go yeah and, if and then he, it's if like he gets home, he's gonna teach those kids how to behave in in uh saturday school <laughs> pretty much yeah or who knows they might go to the jedi they might have gone to the jedi academy if there was one uh, this, the we don't even club, know the breakfast club was actually just set at like a training facility <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, yeah. Oh, jeez. And then Anthony Michael Hall. Was, Anthony Michael Hall is the Luke Skywalker of the bunch, and uh, Judd Nelson is the Han Solo, and apparently Emil Estevez is, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, the Lando Carissian, and um, Princess Leia is Molly Ringwald, and uh, who's the last one? Uh, there's one more. Uh, sh- uh, uh, On Mothma. No, 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 no. <laughs> who's who's the uh, Ali Sheedy? You know, she's like the Ali Sheedy, yeah. Of the bunch. Oh. Kidding about the Chewbacca part. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Chewbacca was in a mental wreck. <laughs> but yeah, Battle for Endor definitely was a lot more expansive. And we got to see this like warrior race who thought that this power converter generator, this power cell, would give them actual magical powers. 
That... And of course, then there was that one shape shifting witch who yeah. tried to re- interpret it for him. Of course, who's uh, who's uh, Wilford Brimley is the hero basically of the movie, and he's actually pretty good in this. And he has that weird little sidekick, the one that runs fast. I can't remember his name. Uh, Heek. What? Heek, I think his name was. Oh, that's not what I would guess. Yeah, the, yeah, that one little thing. I'm like, oh wow. Honestly, it's like it's like that guy's been kind of like a smuggler who's been stranded there for years, been living off the land, and now finally able to go home. But he was kind of a dick at first, but then he just realized, oh gosh, she's only a little kid. She just lost her family. My God, what's wrong with me? No, and we got to see like some more. You know what? I'm sorry. This is a little offhand. We had a conversation before the episode started. I said that the Star Wars and droids were full series, and you were like, no, they were movies. I didn't know this that they were edited together as movies and put out on DVD about 11 years ago, which means a lot of the episodes are still not available, and I don't know why. Disney owns them. They should put them out there. And, uh, yeah, so I've seen them as an individual episode. You watch them as a movie, so that must have a different feel for it. Did you watch oh, Ewoks yeah. as single episodes or as a movie? I watched Ewoks as a, as a movie. I, I watched The Haunted Village. Oh, okay. I watched the part where they had to deal with Morag and the flogs and you know, her finally dying and Master Logre having the Sunstar, the, about the Sunstar Shadowstone. That was like the big basis of it. I think of the two cartoons, the mythology of the Ewoks is much, much richer. And I think that's why the show is more successful. It did help that they had oh, the two live-action movies to build up to the cartoon. Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't really been able to take off the ground as much. Plus, I... When it came to making Return of the Jedi, I mean, the studios and, you know, execs weren't going to let George Lucas do it unless he had some kind of characters to market out to children. Yeah. And in doing so, created the Ewoks instead of Wookiees. You know, and but, yeah, no, I mean, it. I mean, I, I didn't mind the Ewoks too much. I mean, I, that does kind of make sense. You know, those, this little tribal, you know, this, like, tribal culture taking on the, you know, the Empire with all their advanced technology and weaponry. Well, it helps that one of the main writers was called Dini, uh, you know, uh, guiding the show, which uh, it really works. Yeah, it didn't like the production cost. I think about like five hundred six thousand dollars to get that, and it was. I mean, it's fantastic animation. I love looking at it, and it did. I like I said, like, as you just said, the mythology of the Ewoks was, I think, a lot more to play on because you know, Endor's, you know, the Force Moon of Endor is just one. Is definitely just one big old world. There's so much to explore. There's so much, you know, that they couldn't. To learn about the, and in doing so you know creating that witch morag and the giant dragon creature and yeah, the yeah. giant flaw those big old giants walking around smashing everything yeah they barely touch on the mythology of the ewoks in the movie because you know basically they're there just be cute and have fun and surprisingly there's a lot of anarchy and chaos when the ewoks get involved with war you know they, they took out those stormtroopers you know with some really uh, interesting ways but uh, the droids, the droids are the problem. It looks beautiful, but the stories just don't catch your attention. And, and it was really boring and flat. Uh, yeah, I just don't think R2-D2 and C-3PO are that appealing when they're together. It's 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 when uh, they're bouncing off the humans is when it really works. Exactly, I know, but just by themselves, on their own, no. It didn't work at all. I mean, Pirates and the Prince, I was waiting for that. That was the longest hour and twenty hour and 15 minutes ever. <laughs> And then there was the other side with Mungo Baobab. I guess he was just some traitor, you know, and the Imperials are after him. And then we get to actually see Stormtroopers in that one. But the Stormtroopers have, like, these blaster staffs, not the actual blasters from the movies. I guess they had to tone it down for, you know, child content. 
Yeah. You know, no guns. We don't want to introduce them to that. Why don't they just have security staff? Oh, okay, that works. But still, it was just so fucking boring and stupid. And it was supposed to take place before they even met up with um, Captain Antilles and were, you know, part of the Rebel Alliance. But yeah, it just did not grab my attention. It was just so freaking boring. It was like the worst two hours and 20 minutes of my life. Two and a half hours of my life. It was nice that they got Anthony Daniels back as C-3PO. So at least they had some, at least cast connection to, I just don't know. It seems like it's so much potential in the idea, yet it doesn't come across. But it's cool that Boba Fett was in there. Though, how is Boba Oh, yeah. If Boba Fett is still in, does the cartoon take place? Um, okay, it's set, it's set between Sith and New Hope. I guess Fett would have been old enough, right? Maybe, yeah, he would have been a young uh, bounty hunter just starting out. Yeah, he would have been like 18, 19, I think, by when the show starts. It, the show is a little vague where it takes place between Sith and New Hope, so I'm not 100% certain uh, what year it is, but uh, it was cool. I like seeing IG-88 as well. The, the bounty hunters are really awesome. I like watching them. I know. I wish there was more about them. I mean, I remember reading a graphic novel about called Shadows of the Empire about... It was not only about like it was mainly about like Luke and Leia. Yeah. Dash Rendar was just a brief character, but um, it showed like the bounty hunters all like, you know, ganging up on Boba Fett to try and get the bounty for Han Solo, and return him to Jabba. I uh, I don't really care for Shadows of the Empire. I, I mean, I know that it's important because it somehow it builds on top of the mythology. I just didn't find it that interesting. The villain wasn't that cool, but everybody acted like it was the most epic thing oh. in, in the world, and I just couldn't get into it. Prince Shizor, yeah. To me, honestly, the video game, I think, is what everybody refers to, not the actual in-between story. Yeah. Because it was a great fucking video game. Was it? I never played it. Oh, my God, yeah. It, it was N64. You know, you're running around. You first start off doing uh, the Hoth Snowspeeder battle. You meet your Dash Rendar. He meets a, he's an acquaintance of Han Solo's. They race against each other. And um, there was, like, a, a small rivalry. You know, Dash says he's the better pilot and better racer. And uh, anyway, it goes on from Empire, right, leading right up to Jedi. It ends like right before Jedi starts when Luke comes up with a plan. Yeah. To go rescue Han. But I, I like I said, but it was a lot of fun. There was like ship travel. There was you know, ship battles. There was going around all these different. Uh, Different environments, like going to Tatooine, de- destroying a Sarlacc pit, fighting Boba Fett, which I think was one of the most exciting parts of the game. And then there was the last, uh, then there was of course the last battle where you take on the Skyhook and an Imperial Star Destroyer, with of course with help from the Rebel Alliance, of course. So everybody's just kind of in a fighting frenzy, trying to kill each other. I still but think, yeah, no, I still it was a lot of fun. The greatest Star Wars game of all time is the very first one, the Vector Graphics. It's just so simple. Uh, so but you've been telling me that the new uh, Battlefront is just insanely good. To me, yes. I, honestly, when it comes to the formula of a first-person shooter video game, there's really not too much to it. I, I mean, you could there's like some things you can expand on, but it doesn't really change the whole genre around. But it looks it, like I said, what with what Dice did, they captured every environment perfectly. When you go in a cot, when you're in like fighter squadron fighting in the actual X-wing, yeah. And you go into cockpit mode, it's like the most cinematic experience you can have from being in Star Wars. I kid you not. It's absolutely beautiful. But anyway, oh yeah, 
<clears throat> oh, excuse me. But yeah, no, Ewoks, the uh, Haunted Village, that animated movie I thought was definitely my favorite of the bunch. It's definitely much more appealing. I I don't I can't remember how many times I watched it as a kid. I like used what, to two read time? around eighty six Marvel Comics decided to spin off in the, a few different directions to test out different markets. They did New Universe, which was uh, basically like the Marvel Universe with all new characters you had never seen before, but they're all intertwined. That sucked. That bombed horribly. But they had Star Comics, which was aimed at kids. And I think the most famous out of all those comics was uh, Peter Porker, the Amazing Spider-Ham. Uh, oh, yeah. A big thing for Star Comics was licensed titles. So they pick up cartoons like Masters of the Universe and weird things like Madballs and Sectars. But they had the droids and... Uh, you just said Mad Balls. Mad Balls. <laughs> they, they even had Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos comic book, which I own. Oh, God. But they had the Ewoks and Droids license. And I remember reading the Ewoks comic. I think it was pretty good. I read one Droids comic. I was like, nope. <laughs> not good enough. I'm sorry. Laurel. This is not Laurel and Hardy, okay? Yeah. It can't work. That's probably what it is. It's, it has an old appeal to it. The, you know, droids only lasted 13 episodes, and it makes sense why. And then Ewoks, for some reason, I was convinced that Ewoks was on for years, like five or six seasons. But it looks like it was only on for 35 episodes, two seasons, and that's kind of a bummer. I did pick up every single stuffed animal, though. We had, um, they're very large Ewoks. Uh, we had them in a huge, huge sealed bag. Kept them in very, very good condition. We had all the big ones and the babies. And I think around 2002, we sold them, and my God, I, I it was like a couple hundred dollars worth. Oh wow, I'm baffled. Yeah, it's. I'm uh, quite baffled. That quite a bit. Kids, hold on to your toys. One day they might be worth something. Of course, that's exactly what I'm doing with some of my things. Now Ugh. it is close to the release of the next Star Wars movie, but we also have to consider the fact that we're near Christmas, and legend has it which I have yet to see, it, is the Star Wars Holiday Special. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I think it was on YouTube. Yeah. I've watched some for a while. Yeah, it, I've seen bits and pieces, and that's about it. It's truly painful. <laughs> I know. I mean, basically, the whole basis of it is that Chewie needs to get home to his family to celebrate their little holiday that they have on Life their planet. <laughs> and, of course, it had Mark Hamill and... Of course, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was oh my. completely bored. Like, he was forced contractually to show up. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But honestly, though, I mean, as far as, like, Lucasfilm went, like, after Star Wars, I mean, with that franchise, they weren't sure what to do with it, but they were having great success with the Indiana Jones. Yeah. That was, like, their next big hit, their next great franchise. Then, of course, in 88, they had Willow. Which I thought, it's a childhood favorite of mine. I love it. You know, I, I still so love it to this day. There was a revival showing of Willow at our local theater during the summer. And, you know, I, for, there was a short period of time where I was really bored with it. And I didn't want to see it anymore. I really enjoyed it. Val Kilmer is truly uh, entertaining. And the only thing I, I get irritated by is the brownies, which are, like, even more irritating Ewoks. Like, oh, let's take the Ewoks and make them even more uh, annoying and smaller. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pat Overton and, and uh, Rick. Rick Overton and, um, shit. He was in uh, The Usual Suspects, End of Days. Aww, he's a comedian, damn it. Um, yeah, I know. He was also in uh, House Arrest with Jamie Lee Curtis. Hold on. IMDb. 
IMDb. IMDb. Uh, we're not looking at IMDb. Uh, look over there. Look away. Look away. Look away. Okay, hold on. I'm I'm browsing. I am browsing. I'm not browsing. Oh yeah, and also had. Jo- it was also jo- It was also Joanne Wally. She was in that too. Yes, oh, that's oh, right. Oh, Who oh, played oh, her game? Oh. oh God, yes, Princess Sorsha. I love you, Sorsha. I worship you, Sorsha. You almost had us killed. Kevin Pollock. Thank you, Kevin Pollock. I was just yeah, talking oh about, uh, he does an impression, he's known for a few impressions, and one of them was Christopher Walken, and at work, uh, they were playing Walken in a Winter Wonderland, and I just kept saying, Christopher Walken in a Winter Wonderland, and just like thinking, what would you like just to have a TV special where he just like, uh, was out in the snow, just talking to nature and singing these songs, you know? Hanging out with Bumble uh, Bumble and Klondike. Uh, what's that guy? Cornelius Jack? You know, and, and some of those classic Christmas characters and just singing songs while hanging out with them. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, of course, it, it also starred the legendary Billy Barty. Billy Barty. Oh. Probably the most, most... well-known until... Um, uh, I, I'm sorry, folks. I've been up since 5 o'clock this morning. It's late. Uh... Who am I thinking of? It's Game of Thrones. What's his name? Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. Yeah, before that, he's probably the most famous. Oh, I don't even know what the proper word is anymore. Is it little person? Yes. Or you could say, you have to say dwarf. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> Billy Barty was like legendary because he was one, not, not even just as a, a little person, just as an actor. He was truly gifted, and he was always like the kind of the go-to uh, for those kind of high-quality roles. Uh, of course, he was in Masters of the Universe as a character who did not exist before the movie. <laughs> Created specifically for the movie. Yeah, Gwildor. Yeah. And it was, cause I think it was like a huge takeoff as far as like a kid's appeal. I liked him. I always thought he was funny. Yeah. yeah pretty much everything he said to me was a stitch. Like, yeah. he, even like at the beginning when he's trying to get out of the net. Help somebody! <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, Warwick Davis, it was his first starring role. He, of course, worked in uh, Return of the Jedi. He played Wicket. Yeah, he was Wicket throughout all the Ewoks movies. And then, in the 90s, became the Leprechaun. I'm the Leprechaun. (laughs) You got me cold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no. Oh, man. So, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I think that was one of the things that really got Warwick Davis into acting was, of course, you know, playing Wicket. Yeah. All comes for a circle. You ever notice that we get on these like weird tangents and uh, we always find our way back? <laughs> it's kind of natural, like that. yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'll I'm say surprised. real quick, real oh. quick about Willow. He was doing interviews for his new movie, and he says that right now Lucas, uh, Lucasfilm, which is being run by Kathleen Kennedy, is talking about doing um, not so much a sequel, but like an update of that world, not a reboot, not a remake, just a continuation of oh, like that a- universe. Oh, a reunion special. Kind of. Kind no, of. no, no, just a movie, a, a real movie, and uh, it said it's like in the world of Willow. Yeah. The world you know, I remember the in the Nintendo. I remember in the Nintendo video game, like the whole basis of it was like a battle between the gods of light and goddess, the goddess of light and the goddess of darkness. Yeah. And you know, Bat Morda was the represent, you know, the evil queen. She was the representation of darkness, while Finn Rizal was the representation of light, and then Willow became that apprentice. But yeah, no, that would be great. I mean, honestly, Willow should come in and be like a supporting role. That would be great to see. The uh, the games back then were pretty 
either either complete garbage or insanely difficult. The Star Wars games from the Nintendo and Super Nintendo are legendary, especially the Super Nintendo versions are insanely hard. And oh God, started. Yeah, I just this is one of those things where I just could not get more than a level in, and it, it's it's funny how some stuff in Star Wars is really challenging and really well done, and then you got stuff that's so half-assed. It's a frustrating franchise. For the most part, though, Star Wars has been pretty spot on. The games have almost always been excellent. The comic books have been really, really good because Dark Horse and Marvel took a, a care of the franchise. It was especially just a, the Knights of the Republic series. Yeah, I really like the um, the anthologies that they're putting together that collect uh, certain storylines. They weren't printed in order, so they went back and kind of collect them all together. And it's just oh, yeah. strange that for the cartoons just weren't that good the droids cartoon especially being a, a glaring like ooh, that's a mistake right there like oh god why am i still watching this <laughs> kill me now you commit more than well, I, do. okay. I don't i don't even try i know i i mean honestly i can't believe i committed i can i committed that much to sin city too <laughs> as well i mean it was, oh god that movie was bad i couldn't even i'm like oh i was wondering when the hell that was gonna end all right anyway so i believe that brings i us really wait 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 Okay, sorry. Yeah, I really hope they do something with the Ewoks franchise, at least for like a you know a kid standpoint. Yeah, well, the droids have still continued in the movies, and I'm the I, I this is where I embarrass myself a bit. I've only seen the Clone Wars movie. I have not been watching the cartoon at all, so I'm assuming that R two and three PO show up in the cartoon. Oh, they do in some episodes. Yeah, you'd have to watch the uh, yeah. They're on. They're available on Netflix. I should probably get that. Well, I don't even have the internet really right now. I'm doing this all off my phone, so it's been a frustrating few months. Uh, for people who listen to the show regularly will know that we took a six-week hiatus while we figured out why Netflix, or not Netflix, uh, YouTube, damn it, I am an idiot. Facebook banned me, and I tried loading the show up to YouTube, and it, it's so time-consuming, and apparently they cheat you on pain. It's been just really, really frustrating with getting it out. Uh, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking if you like the show, share it. Get the word out. Help us keep the show going. There are days when I, uh, I see that the uh, downloads just aren't happening, especially when you know we got banned for stupid reasons. Oh, God. They, they, they got mad at me because I, I found a way around paying them to promote the show. And so we were shut down for a couple weeks, and we're really limited right now. I can't share very much. Please do that if you like the episode. Show it to your friends. Share it on other pages. Get it out there. I, I truly appreciate it. We are almost to our 75th episode. Actually, this, oh, is our, this is our 75th episode of Back in Tunes. Oh, wow. And Holy and, crap, we've gotten to 75. Yeah. Three quarters and, of the way there. Woo, me and Jacob have been at this for almost two years now, so it's nice to see that people really are starting to appreciate the show. Uh, after the holidays are over and we're both not working so insanely much, uh, I'm hoping okay. to add some guests to the show, some of the fans that have been supporting us, and uh, start getting back to that list. Someone made us a list of three or four cartoons they want us to discuss that we haven't hit yet, so I'm trying to get to those within the next month. Uh, until then, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment or the page made exclusively for this podcast. We have like four podcasts. Uh, go to Back in Tunes and check us out. Do so. Make it so, number one. Yeah, and don't, oh. make it, don't make it a number two. Don't make it a number two. We don't like anybody pooping on us. No, no, no. We don't like, no, no, no. Not at all.
I mean, that's fecal matters. I don't, I don't know if that's his thing. If he wanted to take a, a hot lunch right on his chest, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's flammable. It's explosive. Oh, okay. It can melt your face. It's horrifying. No number two. Nice to meet you, number two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that is it from us here. Be excellent to each other. And Jacob, how do we end every episode? Well, I usually say namaste and good luck. Yes. You see, the last. Oh yes, that's the right. La- in the last episode we did, he got so upset over the prequels that he forgot how to end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Namaste and good luck, you guys. May the force be with you. Welcome to Comics on Infinite Earths. Uh, this is William. I'm sort of the other host of this show. And I have uh, my wife, Jeannie, with me here today. Man, Say, that music just takes <laughs> me back. Right? Uh, I feel like we're, we're sounding like we're an NPR episode right now, but that's okay. Um, so this is all about Fraggle Rock, the comic book. Not, not the TV series, necessarily. But there, there's going to be some crossover. So, the Fraggle Rock comic book came out in 1985, which means it came about two years after the TV series started. And I could be wrong, but I think it might have come out simultaneously or right around when the uh, cartoon series started. Do you know about that? The cartoon series was lasted for one year. Okay. So, yeah, I think it was around that same time. Okay. Basically, they were all trying to cash in. Well, yeah. Because the, cause the HBO series was live action uh, with puppets and people and, and all real world stuff, but then they also did an animated one. So, that's one thing I don't know is, is whether this is just based off the, um, the live action or whether it's also based off the cartoon. Because I can kind of see that either way. The uh, the art, for anybody who's into comics, is by Marie Severin, which is like a very well-known name. She did tons of stuff for Mad Magazine and Cracked and, and things like that. And she does like very detailed artwork. So it, it it's really detailed enough that it might be just based on the live-action show. Probably, yeah, that's what I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway... Uh, this series was actually part of Star Comics by Marvel Comics, and they were starting their own little imprint, uh, trying to do do some uh, kids' books, but not have them be part of the Marvel Universe. In other words, not have them interact with the, the Incredible Hulk and uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and, and things like that. But instead, like each series could just be its own little world. Or actually, they did... Have some of them cross over later, but yep, they did. Um, but uh, so we have a little list here of what happened when Star Comics started up. It looks like their first series, all uh, in the first month, were Fraggle Rock, Strawberry Shortcake, another huge property, Heathcliff. I was never that into Heathcliff, but I, I did watch it sometimes. Well, this is Garfield Country, so yes, this is Indiana. This is where uh, Garfield came from. Uh, but then they also had Top Dog, which I guess was a cartoon, but I never saw it. No, didn't know that one. And Wally the Wizard, 
and Planet Terry. And I think those might have been cartoons. I think Planet Terry might have been like a French cartoon or something. Anyway, yeah, those, were, those were kind of ones that were kind of oddballs to me because they were not well-known properties. Um, and it kind of seemed like Marvel was just hoping that they would uh, kind of like make their own name for themselves in the comic books. Which they did not. None of them lasted more than about 12 issues, if I remember correctly. In fact, Star was a, by the way, a like huge failure in that most of their series, um, many of them didn't last, only lasted like 3 to 10 issues. Uh, it was just very bad timing. It was the mid-80s, and superhero comic books were the big, big thing. That's where all the big money was going. And... Uh, so, yeah, it, even kids did not want Fraggle Rock comic books. They wanted, they still wanted their Spider-Man. Well, but don't you think this also <laughs> kind of targeted a younger demographic than the superhero stuff? I mean... Well, that's the thing is it was supposed to, but even the young kids were, like, very quickly trying to be mm -hmm. like the older kids and being like, we, uh, really, it was a, it was kind of a Ponzi scheme or something where also... Very quickly, kids were realizing, oh my gosh, the issue of X-Men from only two years ago is now worth, you know, ten bucks. And it's 65 cents on the newsstand. This is, you know, yeah. And you're looking at me like, now you understand why I have 5,000 comic books in the basement. <laughs> okay, so that's what William was thinking when he was like, what, eight years old? Yes. I was more right. thinking about, like... <laughs> Oh, how cute. They've got a train set. I mean, I I totally was reading this for a completely different reason than that. Yes, I can imagine. Um, I was not a sophisticated collector, mm -hmm. per se. Yeah. But yes, yeah, most, most kids just went right into the superhero books and sort of thought of these as, like, imposters. They're not real Marvel comics because there's no superheroes in them. But, you know, this is probably the stuff that, like... Aunt Betty gave you for Christmas, and yes. she thought, it's a comic, it's got pictures and colors that you probably would enjoy it. Yes. And um, you had to say, gee whiz, thank you, <laughs> and, you know, not read it, mm -hmm. because you wanted Superman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we ended up reading the, the first six issues of the first Star series. I think they did a, a short one also a few years later. Um, but uh, I'm trying to figure out what I would say about these comics and, sh and should you read them. Um, they're definitely nostalgic, um, but they're really, the storylines are pretty much just like the series, um, maybe not quite as fleshed out, and, um, I don't know, it, it's kind of so much better to watch the <laughs> to watch the HBO series because because it was live action and it was like, you know, Jim Henson Muppets and then once in a while there would be like real people and like real life objects. I don't know. It was just kind of weird to see these. These puppets were kind of like cartoons. Yes. And yet because they were puppets they could interact with, you know, real world real world objects. So it was it was kind of freaky. Well, I would say probably that they were able to do a lot more with the comic medium than actual puppets. I mean, like, one of the characters here, um, yeah. you know, develops three heads and four eyes and whatever. Yes, yeah, she's so, talking about issue three where there's a creature that actually turns into a flying dragon at one point. 
and Skenfrith, yeah. He he becomes anything you think he is. That you know, that's probably my favorite issue of of these that I've read. Um but anyway, yeah, he becomes a flying dragon among other things, and I'm pretty sure they could have not have shown that the same way. So they had the some cre- some creative license yes, here. You do get that with comics that you can like kind of make anything happen if you put it in a panel. Um but uh, one thing I want to well, let's do a quick kind of introduction just in case uh I know this podcast has has a decent audience, so some of you may, may just not even be that familiar with the Fraggles. So, what were the Fraggles? Um, well, they were these—they were just these creatures that nobody really knew anything about. They lived underground, and uh, one theory of the show is that they were like in a separate world, but really they just seemed to be in a—they were in a, a world we didn't know about underground. And here were all these other creatures that that no one had ever seen. Um, like, if you look at Wikipedia, this is what they say. They say, Fraggles are small anthropomorphic creatures, typically 18 inches tall. I didn't know they were that big. They come in a variety of colors and have fur-tuft-tipped tails. Fraggles live a generally carefree life, spending most of their time, it says in parentheses, they have a 30-minute work week, uh, playing, exploring, and generally enjoying themselves. They live on mainly radishes and doozer sticks, made of, uh, and the doozer sticks are made up of ground-up radishes, and the material, and they are the material with which the doozers build their constructions. For, sorry, Wikipedia is not always written with uh, 100% correct grammar. Um, but anyway, so the other main characters were the doozers, and I'm sure a lot of you remember them, and they were freaking adorable little bitty green creatures that made all these, like, huge structures out of um, stuff that then the Fraggles just loved to grab and eat and and destroy. Um, Do you remember the Doozers very well? I know I didn't remember them too well. (laughs) I just remember that, like, there was just, like, they lived underground, and yet suddenly there was room to build all this stuff, and the Mm -hmm. caves just seemed infinitely huge. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I liked about about the show is that it seemed like the doozers could kind of just show up anywhere. It's like yep. they filled those caverns sometimes with with all their construction. Um, but by the way, another really good, ep- uh, sorry, not episode, issue of this comic series is one where there's a little doozer who doesn't want to be a... Uh, doozer. Uh, basically a doozer. She, she doesn't want to construct, and that's that's construction is all doozers do. And she, like, rails against it and tries to become a Fraggle. And that is a freaking adorable story. It was it was a great story, and especially, you know, Red is the absolute craziest of all the Fraggles, mm-hmm. who is, is the most um, haphazard and carefree. And when the Doozer tries to become friends with Red, that's, that's really when you got to see the comparison of um, the foil, if you will. Yeah, that... Yeah, that was kind of funny that that's who she, that's who she templated on was Red of all people, who was the the craziest uh, Fraggle. Yeah, she she might have had a much easier time if she had if she had gone after Boober. Yeah, who doesn't really live that much differently from <laughs> from a, a doozer, but constantly cleaning. 
But so yeah, let's let's uh, remind people who the main characters were. Okay. Okay. We had Red, who was the kind of like crazy tomboy. She was a girl with two like gigantic like kind of afroish pigtails. Pom-poms, yeah. yeah. Pom poms for her hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had Wembley, who always wore a tropical shirt. We don't really know why. He he never. It's not like he ever went anywhere. Um, but. He was kind of always the uh, kind of a scaredy cat, but he didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. It's like it was he was constantly being torn between ah, I want to go have fun and oh, I'm so scared. Um, I think the kids identified with Wembley. Yes, most. probably. And uh, Gobo was kind of um, how do I say? Just kind of the awesome one. It's like if you had a. <laughs> He's just supposed to be the 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 friend who just seemed well rounded and adventurous and but not really out there in any of the ways that the others were. He wasn't as crazy as Red, etc. Um, but then we had Boober, who was the basically the Eeyore of the group. He was just always um, cleaning socks, washing socks. Yes, and, and always complaining. He always had a dim view of everything. He was the absolute uh, pessimist of the group. Um, and then I believe we had Moki, or is it Mokli? Uh, crap, I am drawing a blank here. And uh, <laughs> so, I think so, it's yeah. Mokli. Yeah, I think it's Mokli. I mean, there's, but pretty much it was. It was Red, Wembley, yeah. and, and those well, guys that were well, the main ones. Um, but yeah, Moakley was, was uh, kind of the, how do I say? Yeah, she kind of didn't tend to show up in nearly as many uh, adventures just because she was kind of the hippie um, den mother of the group who just wasn't nearly as interesting. Well, and, and that was the one that um, I kind of chided the, the artist because I was like, it reminds me way too much of Mrs. Piggy. <laughs> when you look at the art of it, mm-hmm. um, Mowgli was the one that had like the eyelids, whereas the mm-hmm. others didn't. And so that always just reminded me more <laughs> of like the snout and the eyelids and the hair of Mrs. Piggy. Hmm. That was just... Okay. I didn't notice it. I, I just, thought Jim Henson was being lazy. No, I just took them all as freckles, but that's me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one one other thing Jeannie kind of complained about uh, in retrospect is just the advertisements in Star Comics. Oh my gosh, please, okay. please, can I talk about it? <laughs> yes, you can. Okay, so... Do you want to take a sample issue and I, tell us about I it? I can tell what? you that no wonder... Um, we have had to had issues with diabetes in this world <laughs> because children in the early 1980s were like force fed so much advertising. I mean, just tell us what, what just, were the, I'm looking at Nestle Quick. Start at the beginning and tell us what were the ads in okay. this comic. So, General Foods had Honeycomb Alphabets, Fruity Pebbles, <laughs> Super Golden Crisp, and Cocoa Pebbles. Super Golden Chunks of Sugar. And yeah. basically, it was like basically you can win a shopping spree to Toys R Us if you um, buy any by of a bunch of shitty cereal. all of their craptastic stuff. I mean, yeah. and then not even four pages in, <laughs> you get a free Oreo tumbler for completing a maze and mailing mm-hmm. it in. 
you still have to have to pay the shipping and handling. Okay. It's just crazy. But, but the real point is that, yeah, then we have Nestle Oreos. Click. We have Nestle Click. And by the way, let's look at this Nestle Click and remind ourselves just how many different forms they were freaking giving kids sugar in. I mean, okay, so there was the Nestle Quick, the powder. powder. That's what most of us used. And then they tried syrup. Then they tried the syrup, and they're like, it's even easier. It's already liquid. You can add anything. And then they even had cartons of the crap just already made up with, you know, as much sugar as they could possibly fit in it. Yeah. And that's, that's God, I ate that probably dozens of times. So then the next advertisement <laughs> is for Twizzlers. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, so we're, just, we're just, and then it, we take a break from candy yeah. because it's SpaghettiOs yeah. is the next thing. I mean, it's Which like, is still useless carb crap. Ads are like every four pages. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, there is one, a Levi's sticker set. <laughs> uh, Which ad. is useless. Nobody would ever Again, and a it. lot of this, like the advertising's changed so much since, but a lot of this is fill it out. Send in a dollar ninety-five to get yeah. your sticker set. And can we mention that? Yeah, there's like six of these in this one issue, and mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to do that. Even even very little kids, I think, by the time they were five or six, even when I was a kid, didn't want to cut up their freaking comic books. That is a collectible. Nobody. So that just blows me away. There must have been some. There must have been some crossover or some short window. Maybe like four to six, some seven and eight year olds who would actually do that. But beyond that, no way in hell would they do this to their comic book. Well, so. but see, but that also points to why these didn't last very long was because they didn't understand that that the, these are supposed to be valuable and sacred and saved. And instead, the advertisers wanted them to just cut it up <laughs> and write in it and everything else. Um, we do have a couple of other ads in here. One, of course, is for Marvel um, and the Comic Book Factory. Well, about... really, I think it's for Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham. Which, oh, God. Which hadn't been out yet, but it, it was about to become a new Star comic. And, yeah, it was a parody of Spider-Man, and pretty popular, actually. It's like about it's one of the few star series that's really held up much value. Really, but, so so then you get the order yeah. form for the star oh, yeah. uh, issues, so oh. that you can get you know you can save eleven cents per copy. <laughs> you know, the, you, not even twenty percent. This does, by the way, tell us a little bit more about Star Comics because it shows us that um, the other series they were starting out with were the Ewoks. That's actually a valuable series now. Um, the Get Along Gang, which I could not stand personally. Um, let's see, uh, Muppet Babies. Yes, I had some of big. those. I loved that show. Uh, Royal Roy, which was another just, I think it was an in-house made thing that, that was not good. Um, but anyway, we were really talking about the sugar, but I know Jeannie's staring and staring at what's in inside the back cover, which is just a, a He-Man Secret of the Sword. It's He-Man and She-Ra movie. Which I didn't even know existed. Did you? I freaking loved He Man and She Ra. This I know. was like the bomb dot com. <laughs> and so nineteen eighty five yeah. it was all about the He Man. Did you see that, I wonder? Yes. Yes. I probably I know did. I saw this. Um I my cousins and I had like the entire like toy set. I had all the horses, of course. They had the Skeletor <laughs> mansion with the big skull and but mm. but it was funny just because 
that was in the prime real estate of the of the inside back cover, mm-hmm. and then on the back cover was Care Bears. Wow. So obviously, you know, these guys knew that that the prime real estate. Oh, they knew their audience, and actually, a few months later, they came out with a Care Bears comic book too. Started. Yep. So, um, anyway, but we're getting off track a little yeah, okay, bit. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. 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 With human okay. stuff. That's okay. But but no, the art of it was was pretty decently done. The printing. Uh, production was yeah. was pretty solid, <laughs> you know. I, I don't know. It, it's one of these things that um, I feel. I feel like Jeannie now is like hanging in a territory where she like, I'm the comic collector, so I know what I'm talking about. But um, I, I guess see. maybe she's looking at it from like a business graphic designer kind of kind of perspective or whatever. Well, I could talk but, about the pixelization if yeah. you like. But, but but actually, the paper I do admit the paper they were on is like pretty good quality. I have lots of 80s comics that are, like, smudging up and doing all kinds of crap like that, but these don't do that. Um, but, yes, beautiful artwork. It is probably the best artwork of any star comic because it's an actual, like, well-known, great artist. Um, and, yeah, you, you kind of wonder how that happened, but she probably, Marie Severin probably just loved Fraggle Rock, you know, because just about everybody did at the time. So this probably would have been the only star comic that would have had, like, big writers and artists jumping at it. I, I can't think of any others that would have had that attraction. Uh, maybe what? Ewoks, but... Yeah, well, but better. I think it's also, because this was Jim Henson, basically, yes. he, he told his guys, you know, he had just finished with Muppets, and he told them, you know, we want to save the world. <laughs> and so the focus... You serious? Fr- I'm so serious. <laughs> The focus of Fraggle Rock was supposed to be more of an international appeal. Well, I know that. They even made uh, different international versions for different countries. That's like, right. like uh, probably almost no one listening to this probably knows that uh, the English version in England had a different silly creature from outer space, which is a human, had a different human and dog. They were British. I don't know if the dog barked in a British way or whatever. But anyway... Um, yeah, and they did details like that for different countries, which is really unusual. But, I, I know they made it to be an international thing, but what's this about saving the world? Do you have something concrete? Well, no, that? it was more that he just wanted to kind of sh- have something that could be shared with the rest of the world. Okay. Kind of unify everybody. And, and this was the first... Sort of unify them as we, like teach them subtle moral lessons and, and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Okay. This was the first TV show to be aired in Russia. That uh, is is very interesting. After the success of Labyrinth, and there was one other movie like that, mm-hmm. um, they, they actually aired Fraggle Rock in Russia, which, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's so different from the world that we know. Yeah. That it would be easily transferable to so all funny. the different cultures. I, uh, my commentary was going to be pretty much the same thing. That yeah, like both Labyrinth uh, and Fraggle Rock have so little to do, yeah, with any nation on Earth. That yeah, I can see why they wouldn't object to it. Um, you know, there were quite a few '80s movies like that that, that were kind of like that. I mean, Dark Crystal and The Neverending Story. Oh. Uh, a lot of things like that that were just completely fantasy, nothing to do with real life. Um, that yeah, probably translated really well all over the world. Um, so I think uh, Jim Henson's mission was accomplished. Mm-hmm. 
I guess so. And um, but I will say that uh, had the advertisers been a little more savvy, mm-hmm. that probably this comics would have lasted longer. <laughs> Wait, okay. I think we need a disclaimer that my wife works in advertising. Uh, <laughs> For, uh, I'm just well, saying, I won't, I won't quit, say who, quit but. forcing the, the kids to eat sugar and de- and to defame okay. and deface the the comics. Yeah, um, because yeah, it, the thing is like, um, even in the even in the comics that were supposed to be for teenagers or or adults at the time, though well, most of them that were for for adults weren't that sophisticated yet. Um, they still had silly ads in them, um, but the thing is, the people reading them. Uh, if they cared about the comic and, and preserving it, they were also probably the kind of person who just completely ignored the ads. Like, I mean, you can probably imagine if a 15-year-old read this and he was going to, you know, bag and board it and put it away for 20 years, he probably was not the kind of person who cared that, you know, they wanted him to buy an Oreo <laughs> an Oreo cup or whatever. Um, oh, and then the so, other thing, the, the other giveaway that I noticed in there... Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me a little sad and nostalgic. Was mm. the um, the digital watches? Oh gosh! One one ad when, one when it would be like comic had two ads like four pages apart. Both of them were for the digital um, wow. watches. One was a Transformers one. Uh-huh. Anyway, it was just hysterical. Um, isn't isn't that hilarious? It was like these watches are digital. They're like a computer. You understand, my dad. Does that blow your mind? My dad made the biggest deal every Christmas about getting me a digital watch. <laughs> I had like heaps of them. <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, like, so what? We have digital watches now, but really, who wants like a, a watch shaped like a Fig Newton on their arm or something? I mean, I just I'm amazed they were trying to to make us buy all these branded watches that were just like cheap advertising basically um and 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 you know the the they acted like digital watches were amazing and probably expensive or something but then you know the price just absolutely went through the floor so fast that they were able to like you know just stick them in a box of lucky charms or whatever within a few years so that's pretty funny um I've but, totally gotten you away from talking about like the comics, yeah, the art, that's the storylines. Okay. We've kind of gone in and out, but I think we're about done. But um, one thing I did want to comment is I did not know that the TV series, and this may be both the live action and cartoon, but had 96 episodes. I, that blew my mind when I, when I learned that because I thought it was like 20 episodes or something. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I watched them, and like each episode seemed like almost like a movie to me. They were they were so amazing. So um, I just want to suggest to everybody. Also, yes, check out the comics. Um, check out any of the Star comics that are about properties you like, because they were they were probably pretty well done, and should give you a very good shot of nostalgia. Um, but also, yes, if you can get a hold of the DVDs of Fraggle Rock, I cannot really recommend that higher. Probably one of my very top favorite uh, children series. Oh, and one other little uh, tidbit: hmm. most of the British episodes are missing. Mm-hmm. What? Like, like the you are we turning this into a mystery? <laughs> they had like the different intros, and so the British episodes with the segments with um, the the Fulton McKay 
uh-huh. uh, went missing several years ago. And, um, <laughs> in fact, a lot of the fans of the show have been trying to stage appeals to the public to share their VHS tapes of the original series so that the UK version of the show is not lost Uh, forever. So anyone listening that has the UK version, (laughs) um, we need to get that like digitized and up on YouTube. You heard her. I I can't believe they're not on YouTube already, but yes. Okay. Okay, everybody. There's, there's your project, uh, rescue, uh, foreign versions of Fraggle Rock. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been comics uh, on Infinite Earths. Uh, and let's see, anything we want to plug. Uh, I'd like to plug my podcast, which is called Comics I Read to You. And uh, Jeannie doesn't have a podcast. She has a job. Well, I have a job too. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm too busy uh, Facebooking and Twittering <laughs> and everything else. So, yes. Uh, but that's it. Um, this was fun. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And um, keep on rocking. All right. Go read some comics, everybody. Welcome to Stumbling Towards Adulthood. <clears throat> As you can tell, it's an early morning episode. As my voice is really scratchy. <laughs> it's pretty much the only time we get some of these episodes done. Hey, you're probably wondering, where the hell you guys been? Uh, hey, Tony, where have we been? I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, I, I, I took a trip to Oregon for a bit, and I took a, I took a trip back to Philadelphia, and, you know, I've just been... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we literally, we're literally with each other the whole day, but, like, it could I couldn't figure out a time. I was like, well, how are we going to fit this in and get everything, you know, get out of town in time? And, and I was like, well, screw it, we're just going to wait. And then shit happens, shit happens, shit happens. Doctor's appointments and, and crazy stuff. Look, everybody, I'm on a new medication for migraines, so let's see if I flip out in the middle of the episode. Let's <laughs> hope. <laughs> um... So we're going to be doing the 25th anniversary of the mainstream breakthrough of grunge. I, I say mainstream breakthrough because I know grunge music was around for a few years before. And, and uh, I'm tar- talking more about like in 1992 is a music revolution where everybody was like, you know what? We're sick of the bullshit fluff of hair metal. You know, we're not talking Metallica and Megadeth. We're talking Poison and, and, and Whitesnake and, and shit like that. That was just all about partying and girls. We want some depth. We want some meat to chew on. And then all of a sudden Nirvana comes around and just breaks through into the top 20. And you're like, whoa, what is this? Yeah, it's weird. Like, the very the very first time I heard Nirvana, I wasn't blown away. I know it's like, a, I know that's, I don't know, maybe that's sacrilege to say to any, any uh, grunge fan. I was like, nah. A friend of mine who, like, sat at my lunch table, because we were both in, like, both, like, alternative nerds together, you know what I mean? Because everybody else was kind of into, like, early 90s hip-hop. And that's all they they could they could you know they could think about or whatever CNC Music Factory or whatever was on, you know, <laughs> on the airways. Uh, don't tell people that. Don't stop. <laughs> yeah, and we were all like you know like you know New Order and like uh, electronic and uh, you know b- bands like that. And um, and I thought when when Nirvana came on on the scene, I was like, oh man, it's, it's, to me it sounded because I was kind of like on the, the new wave side of alternative. I was, like, I was a big fan of. Yeah. I like hard rock, but it just sounded a little too. Uh, punk metal to me at the time 
I don't know about that. They had it on, like, it debuted on 120 minutes, right? That The alternative rock show. I'm like, oh, this should be on, like, Headbangers Ball or something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know definitely. about this. Well, at the so, time, alternative was more like, uh, I want to say, like, the REM version. You know, B-52s, kind of a southern... Or, or like you said, yeah, uh, kind of like New Order. You know, it kind of had a different feel to yeah. it. All of a sudden, this comes out, and you're like, what is this? I don't know what this is. Yeah. So for me, it was either like kind of like the alt-techno kind of rock, or it was kind of like like New Wavy, or it was kind of with like synthesizers, or it was kind of like college rock with like R.E.M. and like the Pixies. You know what I mean? That was like, uh, that was the rage to kind of straddle back then. And then when... Um, you know, I, mean, I guess, like, you know, the Meat Puppets and Screaming Trees were around back then, but they weren't really making waves on the scene, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, but when that when that came on, I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know, man. It's really, because I was already aware of Alice in Chains, you know what I mean, before Nirvana came out. I actually saw them in concert. They opened up for Van Halen. Were they know, a hair metal like, band then? <laughs> I've seen videos of they this. They were. No, well, they were, but I saw them for the first time on uh, Headbangers Ball, you know? So, but like, cause like, cause your heavy metal bands weren't dressing like it. your true heavy metal bands weren't like hairspraying their hair, putting on makeup, and doing all that crazy crap. You know what I mean? Your Slayers, etc. So like that man in the box was kind of like a, it was, yeah, it was pretty heavy. Well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't certainly wasn't a, what you normally think of like a, like it's an alt rock band. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I just assumed they mistakenly put Nirvana on the wrong, uh, on the wrong, uh, you know, uh, genre of like, uh, <laughs> you know, TV show. Like, oh, it must be a mistake. And then my, yeah, like I said, my friend at lunch was like, dude, how, how great are they? I was like, you think they're great? I was like, you know, because it was kind of like out of character. I had to listen to those kind of bands too. I was like, all right, I guess I'll give them a shot. And then it probably took until like, um, like come as you are. And I really, all right, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get in them. I'm starting to dig them out, you know. It felt like that. It, 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 that heavy little bass. I thought that was really cool, so. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard them was right before we went to church, and I remember sitting in church the entire time, obsessing about that song, like going through the structure in my head, the video, and I was like, "What did I just watch? This is crazy!" And I just, I, I uh, instantly just started to move towards. I think that's kind of the way the nation was, moving away from, you know, I had Warrant and Poison and stuff like that in my collection, and moving towards the heavier, darker stuff. I'd already started to get my like first. Um, Testament CD and Metallica and Megadeth and stuff like that and this was like that nice little push that mixed the alternative world with metal and uh, I mean if we were to take this back to the beginning of alternative music we'd probably have to take it all the way back to Frank Zappa you know and then Devo and stuff like that you know alternative music has been around for a long time grunge was a very very specific sound you know, crunchier guitars uh, lots of muttering, kind of mumbly kind of, what? what is he saying? <laughs> Yeah, they really embraced like that that, that fuzz kind of um, uh, feed, feedback. It was like really a. I heard, I heard uh, somebody like it was kind of like an organic uh, kind of warm sound with the guitar. It wasn't like the crisp, clean like uh, of, of like heavy metal. You know what I mean? It was just just that kind of like uh, almost like almost like you, like your guitars are drunk. I mean, yeah. That kind of warm, kind of like 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 a like fuzz rock. Hey everybody, we're here to rock. You know, that's where the guitar kind of long. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure, yeah. You know, it's funny is at this time I really hadn't solidified my music. Like you said, you you were listening to kind of like uh, electronica and hip hop, and I remember my collection at the time that I had bought Nirvana. If I remember, my collection was this, uh, like the the previous bands I mentioned earlier, the Wayne's World Two soundtrack, 
bunch of Weird Al, tons of DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Third Base, Beastie Boys, and uh, In Excess. And that was pretty much it. Oh, and ACDC. I had a couple ACDC. Yeah, I, I was in like, uh, I mean, I was in, a cla- I was in like, a, I had a pretty eclectic taste in music, but you can't really, you can't really tell that to everybody. At least I couldn't back then. So I had to like, you know, I had to identify with a certain musical genre, even though I, I liked some rap and I liked some alternative, some, you know, some current rock, even though I can't recall any that, that was out, out back then. Maybe some Lenny Kravitz. Jesus Jones. Or stuff. <laughs> I, I liked, yeah, Jesus Jones. I was in them. They're, pre- they're pretty uh, pop radio friendly uh, alt band. Um, but yeah, so, but like as most, as you know, as far as most people could tell, I was just in a alt rock, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mine was top 40, pretty much anything that was in the top 40 at the time. Uh, cause I still hadn't really dug into MTV cause we we're too poor for cable. Um, and you know, and finding like alternative radio stations really didn't exist in Indiana. It's, you know, a small town. You got, you got classic rock, you got hard rock, you got country and you got top 40 and that's pretty much it. And, uh, yeah, that, that's the way major markets are too, though. Don't don't feel so bad. My my city, you know, I mean, I live in the burbs. We got all Philadelphia stations, and there wasn't there was not one good alternative rock station or anything that was playing anything. If I wanted to hear anything that that I remotely liked, I, I had to put on like MTV 120 minutes. Otherwise, yeah, I would. Just, I guess I just won't listen to music. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, it's it's that summer though that we finally got cable, and it's when I became obsessed. With Comedy Central, like, I would get up at 6 a.m. to watch stand-up just for hours on end, you know, Mystery Science Theater. But when I would see something, oh, well, I already watched this, like, six hours ago. Because you remember how uh, Comedy Central would have blocks that they would just repeat over and yeah. over and over? Yeah, they only had so much content at the time. So yeah. Had to, like, yeah totally. And and then when I would get to a point where it repeated, like, oh, I just watched this Kids in the Hall. And then I would switch over to MTV, especially for, it was before um, TRL can't remember the damn name of it but it was like that it was, a, it, was a, it was a countdown show but it was more alternative than trying to be like you know what it was you know in trl was more like uh teeny bopper yeah yeah no i know what you mean it was uh they had like like adam curry would like host it or, uh, or something it was after talk. him it was with the guy his name was john and he had kind of the gap teeth kind john, of losing his hair a little bit oh john 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 norris yeah john he, was, norris. he was also one of the mtv He's also on the MTV News correspondence too sometimes. So. Yeah, and he always had a revolving cast. The girls seemed to change like every few months. Um, but he was the regular mm-hmm. host on that. And then that's when I really started getting into it. You know, Guns N' Roses is still huge at the time. And they weren't really hair metal either. People like to classify them as that. They had like they had like mm-hmm. early bits of grunge and, and, and some old school punk mixed in with it. And that's when you started seeing like the new breaking bands. And that's, I think, the first time that I had seen Pearl Jam. And of course, six months later, I'm sick of Jeremy. I'm sick of even flow. But I gotta tell you, my favorite one is this one here. acoustic version of <laughs> i didn't realize it sounds different yeah, than i remember uh, being yeah i remember when that song came out um we we used to i mean we liked it we used to mock it too we used to be like um <clears throat> don't call me a daughter name's eddie vetter i don't sound like a girl at all <laughs> <laughs> we just we used to mock you know we just like yeah, throw in our own lyrics and i think we all had our little uh impressions of 
Eddie Vedder all like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember when they, because they, they broke huge, like, you know, as, just about as huge as Nirvana did. And then I remember when uh, I heard Stone Temple Pilots for the first time, that plush song. I thought that was Pearl yeah. Jam. I was like, I think oh, look, we all did. Like, and, and then somebody told me it wasn't Pearl Jam. I was like, well, this guy's clearly trying to rip off Pearl Jam. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And of course, Stone Temple Pilots is my favorite of the group. Um, kind of underrated. I think they had more of an eclectic sound, where I think a lot of these bands, they kind of stayed with the same sound. Pearl, or, uh, Stone Temple Pilots was more experimental. They would have like the weird tracks. Like, Do you remember at the end of uh shit i'm having amnesia all of a sudden second album uh, stone temple pilots second album the one with the little kid in the front it's all painted shit there's no name on there. oh uh i know is it like what? a little purple, little, purple. Like riding a dragon or something yeah or? It's, it's purple um at the end of it there's this weird crooner song you're like what the hell is this and they weren't afraid to like test these weird grounds and that's what alternative music should be it's kind of experimenting right yeah no i, I mean like Southern Pilots is another one of those groups that was around before before the grunge movement came along, and they weren't classified as grunge, you know. They had uh, that, that Wicked Garden uh, song, and or I think something like that. But I, I was aware of them before, also, also on like Headbangers Ball. You know, they weren't on like uh, you know, alternative uh, uh, rock charts, you know, back then. Yeah, sex type thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw for the very first time on Headbangers Ball, and I was like, "Who the hell is this? This thing is rough." I mean, if you actually listen to the lyrics to that song, oh, that's a dark, dark, creepy song. Yeah, but um, I can't remember when Soundgarden came on the scene, but I do remember there was, um, I remember like, I think Guns N' Roses came uh, into town and they opened for them, and uh, I remember I mean, this guy in the math class, this guy, this kid, Chris Romano, as heavy metal as you like, his hair was like down to like his shoulders, he wore like you know, uh, boots with, like, uh, studs on, all over them. He's such a, like, you know, such a metalhead. And he was talking about, like, oh, man, I can't wait. Fuck Guns N' Roses, man. I'm all about seeing Soundgarden. Like, Those guys, you know what I mean? So the, the, and I started hearing them on the radio. This is, like, you know, pre-Black Hole Sun uh, days before they Oh, yeah, well, I think their first mega, one. Mega huge. Yeah, the Allison Chains, Stone Toe Pilots, and Soundgarden were all on Headbangers Ball first before they broke on, like, you know, that afternoon show or 120 minutes. But I remember this one being the big one that kind of got their attention was Rusty Cage. It sounds just like metal. Yeah. But, I mean, their, their sound would change later, of course, to be more expansive. I, I have that album actually in my car. Uh, uh, Bad Motor Finger, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah, one with Rusty Cage and uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, oh, Outshined. Outshined was the yeah. other one. Yeah, that was, that, that was the other big one. I remember hearing that on a True Romance. Uh, it's like uh, when Brad Pitt's character was uh, smoking a, a bong made out of a, a honey bear. You know, one of those little <laughs> plastic honey bears. That song was playing. I was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's they started grabbing everybody from Seattle. And you remember the movie Singles, where they actually had like people in these bands in the cast, and it was just all about that whole environment, yeah. just as grunge was breaking out. Yeah, see, I don't know how to feel about that. It, like, so grunge instantly became less cool once that happened. You know Which I mean? is only a six month I, difference I like... between the the debut of Nirvana is in February, January of '92, uh, with uh, yeah. not the debut of Nirvana, but that song. Um, yeah. But then all of a sudden you got August, singles comes out, and all of a sudden everybody's like, man, they sold out. Yeah, I, that, that's why I was like, wow, that, that was fast, you know what I mean? 
You know, so like, I mean, like, oh, here comes Hollywood trying to capitalize on this movement. How, how can they make money off of it? As if they weren't already doing that with like record sales. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, oh, if, if, if you know how movies are made, you know that was in production before that ever happened. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know. But um, but I was like, but I, I, you know, it took me a little while. Like, all right, well, maybe they're not so bad. I mean, you know, these guys are starving artists. They're trying to earn a living, and they weren't like, you know, it was more about people living in Seattle than it was specifically about the music scene, even though that was a big part of it. Yeah. You know, so, and it's not like, you know, Eddie Vedder's character, even though he had cameos, and it's not like he was, like, you know, the driving force of the movie, or... Matt Dillon was, you know, man. Like, the guy who talks with his lower teeth. Yeah. Do it for Johnny, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't, like, dismiss him completely after that movie came out. Yeah, it's funny, Is the biggest hit from that soundtrack isn't even from, like, the whole grunge movement, as far as I know. Paul Westerberg, you know, um, you know oh, he's not he really known as part of the grunge too? movement. Yeah. I mean, I, I get, wait, well, he, he's from the replacements, right? I, I, do, I do believe. Yeah, I think so. And they're kind of like an alt band from Canada. They've, they've been around for a little while, so, yeah. But, um, you know, there was some other, like, side, what's, I guess what's cool about the, the grunge movement is other Seattle area quote-unquote grunge bands were also able to get some new life, you know, like um, Screaming Trees and um, what's the, uh, uh, Mud Honey, you know, some some of those bands. Yeah, you know, otherwise I, I you probably saw... probably would have never gotten... No, no, Screaming Trees. I saw Screaming Trees in Soundgarden at Lollapalooza 96, and little did I know that 96, Lollapalooza was going to be like this weird, tortured ghost town. You know, like, uh, if you look at it, like, Ben Folds Five performed for the first time, and they would break up the next year. And then, and then, uh, yeah. uh, Soundgarden would break up right after Sound, uh, after Lollapalooza. The Ramones would, you know, go away, and all the Ramones are dead now. And uh, um, uh, who was the weird one? They had a weird uh, Waylon Jennings would die soon after. It was just, it was like a really creepy if you look at everybody who performed in Screaming Trees. I think, if I remember correctly, the lead singer died of a heroin overdose. Probably, yeah. I'm not even sure. I, I mean, I know the lead singer from uh, Alice in Chains died of heroin, heroin overdose. That yeah, was, uh, that was a few years later. It's like almost all of these guys. It seems like something happened. Like all the big ones. I mean, sure, some of the smaller guys are still around, but you know, you look at Soundgarden, uh, what just happened. And now, everybody, this episode, like we were saying before, has been months in the planning. We didn't do this as an opportunistic kind of Chris Cornell, you know, uh, try to get the attention because yeah. of the past. This is just one of these things where you just kept putting it off, and finally, we were able to do the episode. Yeah, so like, yeah, it, so, so it instantly became topical again, which is which is weird. It definitely was not the intention. No. Uh, you know, in Nirvana, of course, but, having that tragic, he, the first of the bands to really go. Who knew that Foo Fighters would be so much bigger than Nirvana and last so long? Yeah. I remember when I first saw a, a video, I was like, hey, isn't that the drummer from uh, Nirvana? Yeah. Like, that's, that's weird. What, like, wait, wait, he can sing? Well, I guess he could sing and sing back up, but he can play guitar, too? Wait, come on, seriously? It turns like, out he yeah, can do like everything. Super... <laughs> yeah, he can do anything he wants. Oh, yeah, I could also record the music. I press the albums at the factory, and I also distribute them in my time off. Yeah, I did anything, the album covers. I directed the videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I refined some oil to make the petroleum to make these CDs. So you know, there's, there's nothing I can't do. <laughs> I broke my arm. I still perform. Who cares? I'm not even going to take painkillers. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, that's another thing. It, it, uh, the, the painkillers that these guys would uh, take post post show was probably some of their uh, you know downfall too. I'm sure some of the uh, some of the cocktail drugs a lot of these guys would do uh, in between and post shows. 
Yeah, you know, it's and, and it's heroin in the mix, you know. Yeah, it's just terrible. I don't know if it was because of Seattle. I mean, I know meth is huge in Oregon. I don't. I don't know if heroin is still a big thing in Seattle. Um, but if you look at all these bands, it just seemed like they ravaged them. You know, so many people like um, like we said, Allison Chains, uh, another band that just broke out right before the the major mainstream breakthrough. What was, what was their first one? Was it Man in a Box? Was their big first hit? That 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 was the first one I ever, I ever heard. Yeah, Man in a Box. Yeah, and, and they would have, like, these really heavy, heavy songs, but then these harmonic, you know, just, like, melodies. Um, I remember they had that really, really big hit in 95, uh, Heaven Beside You. And, like, that's totally different for mm. Alice in Chains. Yeah, you know, they also had this EP, uh, Jar of Flies, which is really good. They, um, they had that song, No Excuses. Yeah. They had that, uh, uh, I either Stay Away, I think. Um and then uh, that was really like uh, heavy on like you had strings and like you know acoustic. It was really like you know really had a lot of depth. It wasn't just like you know crunchy fuzzy guitars and like you know um, didn't sound like their typical like uh, uh, you know I am the rooster kind of sound. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is this their version of the power ballad? I mean, you know, through the '80s, it was all these heavy metal bands breaking through and getting known because. If you look at the catalog of all these big bands like Motley Crue and Poison and stuff like that, their biggest hits were always the power ballads. And then, like, you know, it would get them enough attention and the other ones would rank in the top 40. It seemed like that way with the uh, the grunge bands, that they always had some sort of, like, melodic, kind of slower song that would get people's attention. Yeah, I guess, I guess maybe they do that to, you know, break up break up the tempo and, you know, just, just, just try to convey a mood instead of just, like, uh, you know, frustration and anger all the time. Just, yeah. You know, I think it's funny if you look back at all the bands during this era, which ones the girls would connect to, and you're like, okay, so either they got a good-looking lead singer like Pearl Jam, or they had some sort of, like, you know, breakthrough ballady kind of song that people would, you know, all the girls, they don't like grungy, they don't like heavy stuff, but they don't like the softer songs. I still remember someone being like, don't you love Candlebox? I'm like, no, what the hell? No? Why would I like them? Yeah, somebody tried to like uh, convince me that they were also grunge. I'm like, look, it may look the part, <laughs> but no, I don't. I am not digging them. You know. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, there's whatever it is they're selling. I'm not buying. They would blanket all these bands as grunge, and I looked up on Wikipedia who they also put under grunge, and I'm not so sure this counts. I, I would say there's probably about eight major bands in grunge, and uh, I don't really count Bush. Bush is at the end of grunge. Grunge was a very actually small yeah. movement. It was only for about six years, and then it would move into other types of alternative music. Do you count Bush as grunge? No, no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just because they're from England. It's just they don't have that same sound. They don't have. I mean, I, I looks like they're trying to nail down the look, but they just you know. I mean, and that and, and I'm not even blaming them necessarily. That could have just been the style of the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, I, 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 but. They definitely don't have a sound, you know what I mean, that uh, it seems, seems a little, little too neat, a little, little too polished. Yeah. I mean? Well, let's talk about the fashion real quick before we'll, we go back to these bands. It was all about the flannel for a couple of years, and then it turned into kind of like just, you know, whatever dorky, cool t-shirt, you know, the Beastie Boys kind of started that trend. And then that long hair, yeah. they would just kind of pull back. It was all the same length, and they would all pull back behind their ears. Like, yo, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, uh, what's that kid from Days of Confused? Uh, the young one. Oh, you know, like yeah, That kind yeah, of hairdo. Yeah. Uh, later <laughs> yeah that that was um yeah i and like you know like then like you know kirk Cobain would wear like you know crazy bug-eyed glasses or wear like some kind of weird sweater just because he could you know <laughs> so that so that also became kind of movement just you wear shit just because you feel like it yeah no matter what it is 
you know. Wrap it around your waist. How many pictures of my youth are me wearing like a hoodie around my waist, which you never see kids All wear right. now? <laughs> you know, I only do that if I brought a jacket and I'm hot and I don't feel like carrying it anymore. But yeah, yeah that was also that was also a very '90s thing with the uh, long sleeve shirt wrapped around the waist. You know. Just thinking about when I actually had hair. I never grew my hair out when I was a kid. I had, you know, I mean, once high school hit, it started to thin out a little bit, but I never grew it out. I always had kind of the Tony Hawk, uh, that little swoop, and I had that for like six years, and all of a sudden I lost my hair, and I was like, well, I guess I'm going with a short spike now. Yeah, I did it later, like at the time. I mean, I did like, like you know, like punk mohawks, and then I did like dyed my hair. Tried to dye blonder, didn't really come off that way, but um, and then, uh, yeah, I didn't grow it longer until like, you know, like later in adult in adult years but yeah because that, that would just take so long you mean like especially when you're 16 it's like and then they, they transition stages were are horrible <laughs> you know when you're trying to grow your hair long oh my god i just gave up plus my grandfather would give me shit about it like, look, yeah. look, you're bum. like look at you look like a bum put your hair like that what's your good haircut you bum <laughs> all right all right plus it was plus but i'm getting it because i don't like the way it looks right now not because you badgered me into it but yeah so yeah i um but then yeah I'm thinking, you know, you said you thought uh, grunge music kind of sold out when it uh, it was in singles, but I'm actually thinking not Lollapalooza. A lot of people like to cite '96 Lollapalooza is when you know Perry Farrell sold it off to someone else, and then they started to go really big. You remember, you remember when uh, it was like, oh, it's Porno for Pyros and like five other bands that are kind of slightly breaking through, and that'd be it. That was Lollapalooza. Yeah. Well, I remember re- reading an article about it before it came out in Rolling Stone when he was talking about the bands he wanted and the kind of the kind of things he wanted. And I remember when it first came out, I was like, oh, well, this is cool. This is like, you know, a lot of the bands I like. And then it started getting crazy. And then they had like, you know, um, like sideshow acts with like yeah. people doing um, – We had samurais, like, like, and, like these know. 80-year-old samurais coming on and doing these crazy stunts. And I'm like, that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I that might even be part of – part of his initial vision. He wanted to be kind of like a music and arts festival. But then like mainstream marketable bands really started. And they became the driving force and they had like the main stage. And then like all the all the bands on the side stage, which should have really been like main stage bands in their own right, uh, got pushed to the side stage because more bigger marketable bands started to come on the scene and wanted to play Lollapalooza. Yeah, I was tortured by the fact that Ben Folds was playing against Metallica and I'm like, shit, I love both. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> Yeah, so I was with like a group of. I went to one. I want to say in '95, and um, and I but all the bands I want to see were on side stages. I was like, guys, I mean, like I'll stick around. All right, I'll watch Cypress Hill on the main stage, sure, but I don't know. I'm gonna have to meander and go off on my own with some of the other fans on the side stage. You know, come on, because I don't know. I just not into, you know, I don't want to see Elastica or Hole, or, uh, you know. <laughs> I love Alaska though. Uh, I think it's funny that Alaska it, and Hole. Right. You said both of those together. That's kind of gross. Elastica Hole. <laughs> my elastica hole. <laughs> I mean, my elastica and hole collection. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, and let's also talk about Woodstock '94, where they combined uh, grunge with punk and you know hip hop, oh. and and this is when it was like this is like I think Woodstock '94, in my opinion, is when everything kind of sold out. It, it, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing a sequel for to the greatest concert ever? I mean, it went to complete shit in '99. Like, Do you remember the '91 one went like just so wrong? Yeah, it was like, um, it was like first of all, it was like sponsored by Pepsi, which was okay. You know what I mean? It's not real, you know. And then it was like, it was just there was a commercial for it, and it was like huge. And then like, uh, I remember a friend of mine uh, from like you know my small suburban Philadelphia town went out with his girlfriend, 
And um, and he was acting like I was jealous. Like, dude, first of all, I made that car ride up to like I've said here before. It's a long ride. I'm not jealous of that. Number two, besides the Chili Peppers, I don't know, man. There's a lot of like I don't want to see Kid Rock. I don't want to see all these like you know super pop bands. You know what I mean? I just yeah, I mean, have fun. It's like for me, I know the payoff isn't worth you know the destination and the. I can't remember what he paid for the tickets, but they were crazy freaking expensive. Yeah, and then like, he heard it later. It's like, oh yeah, people rock. got beat up and 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 molested, and, and they're 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 swimming oh, in shit. Shit was on, shit was on fire. Like during the uh, like uh you know during the Chili Peppers concert, they they did like a re like a cover of Jimi Hendrix's Fire, and they, people were actually like, oh cool, like stuff on fire, and that's what happened. All that shit was burning, and yeah, there was like there was like plus there was like no water. People were like. You know, passing out from dehydration, yeah. there was no water provided. Ten dollars a bottle for water. I was like, yeah, that's the idea of Woodstock. Yeah, uh, peace, love, and understanding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nope, uh, this is all about new metal. Su- such a fucking cash grab. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wanted no part of it. Yeah, ninety four. At least it, it's somewhere in the right place. It was just a you know like an anniversary celebration of the original one. But yeah, the ninety nine one is clearly like, hey, that one made a lot of money. Let's just keep going with this. Oh, we fucked up. Yeah. All right, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was like the nail in the coffin to like you know, pretty 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 good you know. Well, I guess an already dying grunge movement, I suppose. Yeah, it's funny how fast music kind of... moves when you think about it, because this is back when they were blanketing everybody with the grunge uh, title, even though clearly in in retrospect you look, no, they weren't, they weren't, they were not, they were not. Um, you know, you can't you can't put green jelly under, uh, you know, uh, grunge. You can't put uh, what, what's that one band that. Uh, um, four non blondes, you know, just because they're they're odd looking doesn't mean they're grunge. They're alternative. It's a big difference. R- uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, arguably one of the biggest bands in the '90s, not grunge. They existed before that. They were more yeah. like this weird ska. They're like Fishbone, you know, like this fun party band. Yeah, kind of like L A punk. You know what I mean? Like like light punk. You know what I mean? And then there was like uh, yeah, also um, Green Day. They tried to you know you know in Offspring kind of put and uh, put them in the same category. What's uh Ruby right. two uh Ruby 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 Soho shit? Oh, uh, Rance, R- Rancid was. Yeah. I mean, they they Rancid was punk from the beginning. Yeah. You know? Even but, though they did, you know, hardcore punk. Pierce would say they sold out a little bit during those times, but you know they got built to pay. Yeah, and, and if you look by then, ninety five, ninety six is when ska is really breaking through, and punk has made a huge uh, resurgence. So grunge is now being pushed to the wayside. All those bands that were huge just three or four years earlier, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Nirvana's gone. Pearl Jam is now, like, they're not going for singles. Their albums, once they hit Yield, they started to turn into, like, the way Neil Young was, where they were concept albums. The the whole album was a theme, and they were in-depth, and and you have to be more mature to understand Pearl Jam now. Whereas those first two albums were all about, let's get a couple, let's get these good singles going, you know, and, you know, whatever. The rest of the songs are fine, whatever. Uh, Alice in Chains started, like, experimenting with their sounds. Don't Tell Pilots really started to break through uh, with different ideas. And so grunge movement has altered significantly. Right, yeah, they, they, they weren't trying to make two-minute uh, pop songs for, for the radio anymore. Because, you know, I mean, they, they weren't necessarily trying to, I mean, the, the object sure is to have people listen and appreciate and then, you know buy their albums, but that wasn't the motivating force. They were like, I gotta have people buy these albums, because I have to make, you know, I have, to make, I have, I have these, uh, I got these bills for, like, the recording studio, I gotta break even, etc. It's not, it's not like a, you know, a mission to, like, uh, to make as much money as possible to, like, you know, to, like, uh, get the groundwork, you know, to become, like, a, a working, living artist. They've already done that, so now it's just, like, you know, putting out 
putting out music that, you, that not only that you enjoy, but that you hope that your audience, you know, enjoys as well. Yeah, and you know, you, you think about that era, and it's sad that so many of these bands are forgotten. You know, I mean, you remember their first two. It's weird how a band will come out and they'll have 15 charting hits, you know, and all of a sudden time filters that away and you only remember like the main two or three. But I knew that I was getting old when Nirvana showed up on classic rock radio and I was like, oh, shit. No, no, no. <laughs> and and you really feel old once they uh, show up on the oldie station. because That's yeah. what happens to me when I hear like uh, when I hear Rick Astley. On the oldie stations, like come on, seriously, <laughs> late eighties is not that long ago. <laughs> um, another thing was the music videos. I think the videos started to take a much more uh, auteur uh, vision instead of just getting something that was uh, eye catching. You know, something that would get you to watch the video. I think that there was more depth to the theme of the video, especially like you're talking, Allison Chains, the stuff from. Um, uh, Jar of Flies, you know, that's when they really started pushing the medium. I think the kings of this, they're not grunge, but the kings of this is Tool. They made some amazing videos, and I think everybody else saw this, and they had to up their game. Yeah, like, I, I dare I say, Allison Chains maybe copied them a little bit. They have, like, the, uh, the um, in that, uh, that uh, Stay Away song, they have, like, this kind of claymation thing going on in their video. Very similar to that one video that Tool had. I can't remember, the, I'm not a huge Tool fan, but I can't remember the name of the, um, the, the video where, um, or the song of the video. Yeah, where I can't remember. They have this weird little figurine. He's like touching meat or something. Oh, I thought it was like poop going figure. through a pipe or something. I can never figure that out. It, it, it could have been, for all I know, but it was like it was just very strange. But yeah, I, I think they uh, they they possibly uh, barred barred a little, little bit from that. But well, yeah, both are cool videos for sure. Yeah, and I'm looking uh, back to the list here. I, I love my segues. I take forever to get back to where I was going. Uh, Sonic Youth, <laughs> uh, technically a part of grunge, but not really like. You know, they had the flannel, they're from that area, but they had a whole different sound. They were like this, they weren't even considered punk or grunge. I don't know what you would describe. This is a big hit, 1,000, or 100%. Really like just grind, grindy, crunchy, crunchy guitars. Heavy, heavy over the here. You know, what, what would you describe that sound? Oh, God, um... Almost like skater grunge. Like, it was a weird, uh, independent, yeah. youthful, like, fuck you to what pop sound is. Yeah, that, like, experimental alt-rock kind of uh, vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really consider them grunge, but they're technically a part of the movement, according to Wikipedia, but they were just popular at that time. Uh, the one thing I remember most about this is the guy skating at the beginning is Jason Lee. Oh, okay. That, you know what? It's, it's funny. I, I forgot that he, was a, he started off as a skater. A friend of mine... When I lived in Biloxi, now lives in Denver, but um, he had pictures because I guess he came to town as uh, they're doing like a skating tour, and he came to like this, you know, Biloxi for like a small like little street skating, and then he had pictures of him. Yeah, of Jason Lee with him, and like you know, with his crazy little swoosh hair that was you know Tony Hawk saw back then. Yeah, speaking like, Holy of shit, that's so crazy. You want to know who was here last week in a town where nothing ever happens? Tony Hawk was at our um, local skate park. Taking pictures with the kids, and I just wanted to. Like, oh damn it! I want to meet him. Wow, Tony Hawk in Lincoln City, and also wow, Lincoln City has a skate park. <laughs> Pretty well, cool, man. We, well, it, it's, it's technically a skate park. We like call it the Meth Meetup. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome to the Meth and Skate. Uh, yeah, it's Tony Hawk. <laughs> You'll float when you when you get on your board, man. It'd be great. <laughs> I get. I get, I guess you take a few hits of that before you you know get on your board. I guess when you eventually do, like bust your ass really hard. 
you'll barely feel it because you're too high. Yeah. Um, there is a super group in this whole grunge movement here. Do you remember Temple of the Dog? How Temple of the know? Dog. That song would go away. That. Yeah. Hunger Strike, every five minutes on MTV. A well-meaning song. Honestly, a well-meaning song, but I didn't need to hear it over and over. Every five minutes after uh, November Rain was over, this song would play. Seriously, a well-meaning song, but good God, I just couldn't stop playing this song. That's the only problem with MTV. Uh, people go, oh, what happened to MTV playing the videos? And I'm like, do you remember what it was like? It was always the same thing, unless you waited up till late at night when Yo! MTV Raps was on. And Headbangers Ball and 120 You know, if you watch it during the day, you're like, oh, God, Cherry Pie again. <sighs> all right. Yeah. Uh, they are trying to play what people thought they wanted to hear all the time. Similar to a radio station. Yeah, the problem but, is, is yeah, why can't they just push the medium a little bit? Just I remember Janine Garofalo being on TRL going, why are you guys playing all this teeny bopper stuff? Why aren't you playing something with a little more weight to it? You know, like you used to. And he goes, well, if you look at the ratings during the mid-90s, it was our worst ever she goes what and she goes yeah from like 94 to 97 we had the worst ratings you've ever seen and that's uh things have changed now so we got to keep playing this stuff that sucks yeah yeah i mean i don't, I don't know maybe if they would steer the course i mean you could <clears throat> you could drive with your audience watchers you know what i mean i suppose yeah but, but they're only going I, to I they're only going to ask for that song so many times before they're like nah that's true did you ever notice that was with yeah, Beastie I mean, Boys? For some reason, the Beastie Boys always had one huge, massive hit per album, and then like one okay one, and then the third one, people were like, "Fuck no!" It would play like twice on like the the popular show, and then like they were done. Yeah, it became the uh, yeah. It was like their their, their their B side, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I I don't even know what's on MTV now. I mean, I mean, because if, if I want to go here see any, any kind of music, I just have you know the interwebs. I have yeah, I just uh, YouTube it. You know. Does anybody even do yeah. music videos anymore? I feel like no one does. They do, which I thought was weird because, like, if you go on YouTube, like Vivo, whatever Vivo is, uh-huh. there's videos for all these songs I never knew had videos for. And then, like, but they're like they're not they're not like just like somebody made a video to a song. It's the band and the, and the thing. The bands still do them, but they just air them on YouTube. So like you know, so like they'll have like this YouTube Vivo, not and not just for like your big stars, like your your Rihanna's and you know your Taylor Swift's and all that junk. Other like 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 uh, less lesser bands, dare I say, um, make, make and play videos too. They're just like you know, they just they only they're only made for the internet. <laughs> Strange, but yeah, it. I mean, guess they make money that way, which is which is funny because I remember seeing an interview with Gene Simmons where he's like, "You have to pay MTV to carry your video," and I'm like, "What? Isn't it like a mutual relationship? You give the video over if they want to air it, they air it. If they don't, they don't. If it takes off, it takes off." You have yeah. to pay $40,000 just for them to watch the video? So that's why some of these smaller bands don't make it through. Yeah, for sure. Man. And was that the way it was at the beginning, too? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would be because I can't imagine, like, you know, these little nothing bands with a $10,000 budget for the video paying a whole bunch just to promote it. I would yeah. think that MT was like, I we're think... hungry. We're hungry for videos. Right, right, yeah, they have this content. So I can't imagine the Buggles. Like, here's forty grand. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I got forty grand sitting around. <laughs> I'm the Buggles. Yeah, whatever. Video killed our budget. <laughs> right, video killed killed everything else we ever had because we're broke. 
<laughs> We're gonna go work at McDonald's now to make up for this. Thanks, MTV, you <laughs> bunch of assholes. <laughs> you know, some of the videos you see on, on YouTube, like really high production value. They look pretty damn expensive. I was like, wow. So I, I don't really know how they're how they're paying for it via YouTube. Maybe some kind of ad revenue share. I'm not sure. You know, it has to be. Yeah, right? I I feel like the heyday of the video ended in 2007. <laughs> When Fuse basically took over for MTV and MTV2, when they were like, okay, we're not going to do any special content. We're going to do videos all day, every day, and they're doing like all these great. I discovered so many great alternative and garage rock bands that I had never even heard of before that MTV was ignoring. And uh, I think Fuse started off as Much Music in Canada, if I remember correctly. And then kind of after that, I got to tell you, for the last decade, I've been slowly losing who is popular right now but i also feel like no one rocks and uh yeah in general i like i like underground rap and i like um rock i like you know alternative rock and i don't feel like anybody's doing mm. it everything sounds like four thousand people in the band or it's all one guy in a studio and it's all electronic yeah like for, for now the way i just discover any music i i'm listening to like um uh internet radio via my phone or sometimes I'll, if i if i get a good connection i'll stream it through my car radio when I'm going to work, but um, I'll put it on the indie station or the indie rock station, and then I'll, I'll hear of new stuff. Then I'll sh- try to search them out on YouTube. You know what I mean? And then eventually YouTube copies my my viewing habits and makes a mix for me of all the stuff I like. And sometimes they'll so same with same with my internet radio too. I'll put on like a, a favorite mashup. Yeah. So they'll they'll put all the stuff that I that I like that I like hit the like button on, and then they'll debut some. They'll show some of the other. Um, songs of that artist and artists like that so that that is literally the only way i hear of you know new music i uh you know, i from, have been from my internet, internet radio to youtube That's i it. have been digging into i'll dig into genres that i kind of like i like a few bands in this i'll start getting into more of it like i for a while there i was really hooked on like power metal from the 80s so i really listened to dio and iron Maiden and shit like that you know and then uh listening to Holy like diver. <laughs> Holy dive! You know, I can't believe that he's the one who uh, started the whole devil fingers thing. I didn't even know that. It was based on his mom giving the yeah. evil eye. Uh, and then I was kind of getting to like the cult and the jam, you know, like British New Wave. Um, and then finally I was like, okay, I'm going to lighten up. I'm going to relax. I'm going to stop hating on hair metal. I'm going to stop. Uh, like grunge, I walked away from for a long time because I thought it was so mopey. I really, really. And I, I feel I, I will not apologize for this at all. I love the later '90s rock, like Smash Mouth. I, I won't apologize okay. for it. I love ska. I love the swing revival. I love that like kind of fun rock that came around in the '90s, like um, the Refreshments or um, Lit, you know, stuff like that. I love it. And finally, mm-hmm. in the last few months, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to grunge again. I'm like, holy shit, this is all great. How did I forget? It's not all Nirvana and Pearl Jam, which I got sick of hearing. There's thousands of yeah. great songs out there. Folk Implosion, the greatest song of the '90s that no one remembers. Oh, for I sure, man. I guess it, like like some of the guys from like Fugazi did Folk Implosion. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was pretty 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 damn cool for sure. It's Soul Coughing too. I, I like Soul Coughing. Um, from, what is, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you call that grunge. What's the band that sang um, uh, Common People? Damn it, I had that album. It was really good. Hang around with common people, do things like common oh, people uh, pulp. do. Pulp. pulp, great band. Yeah, yeah. So I'm starting to dig into yeah, some great, of that stuff. Great band. That, uh, that's a really good album. I think that's um, uh, I think it's called uh, I think it, dare I say the name of that uh, album is Common People, but uh, they were also featured on the Train Spotting soundtrack. Oh, okay. Amazing soundtrack, also. 
Yeah, and uh, to, to wrap this episode up, these are the other bands that are kind of on this list. That I remember Screaming Trees. I saw them live. They had that big song, uh, I Nearly Lost You There, and sadly lost his life soon after that with heroin. Uh, Mud Honey, I don't remember what the hell they sang. Mud Honey, do you remember? Not, not right now. I remember, I, rem- I remember liking them. I remember the songs, but it's not really. I just can't. One's not leaping off the page at me right now, for, yeah. to be honest. Uh, L7. Which, you know, we'll pretend that we're uh, dead. Yeah. is huge. Had a big comeback with Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Primus. They weren't they were, they were grunge, though. I was just thinking of Primus for a second. Ah, I don't know. That's, that's a good question, because I think cause Les Claypool is from the Seattle area. It's kind of in that vein. Um, I would call them, like you, know, like you said, like, they may be like the Frank Zappa of the grunge scene. They're very, very experimental. Yeah. You know, doing some kind of... I still remember how risque the Wanda's got a big brown beaver was, and they're playing it on TV, yeah. and he's got an actual <laughs> beaver in his hand, so he seems like he's tricking everybody. But I'm like, holy shit, is this really happening? This is like the most perverse song yeah, I've ever heard. <laughs> I was saying, I was wondering, how are they able to get away with this? I was like, this is clear. It's clearly talking about, you know, yeah, I know, lady parts. <laughs> you know? And my name is Mud. Um, we used to. Uh, we used to put a lot of time into our answer machine in college and me and my roommate would like make up all these like crazy skits and stuff like that. And I remember one, for some reason we did a whole Primus sketch and uh, we ended up with us singing seas of cheese, seas of cheese with the music in the background. It's cool that a band had like the main focus was on bass instead of, you know, uh, the grungy yeah. kind of crunch uh, lead guitar. Right. Yeah, that guy was a virtuoso on bass. Pretty amazing. First time I ever saw him was in uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey at the very end. Huh. He's one of the competing bands. I, I like, like Primus! And I was like, who's Primus? <laughs> I remember when Jerry was a race car driver from that. Like, that song is awesome. Yeah. Hey, hold on. Would you classify uh, the presidency of the United States of America as a grunge band? It kind of came around the scene. They are from like, Seattle, later, and sadly, they finally years. broke up this right. year. I never got to see them, damn it. <laughs> no, I think they're more pop. Their their songs are more about hooks and repetitive lyrics. They are more like a... Oh God, I don't know how... They, they have the Ramones formula, you know, that, that right. three-minute song, repetitive, simple lyrics, simple chords. So, no, and, and they're very clean uh with the play mm-hmm. you know it's not the crunchy guitars and, and the fuzz you know uh so no i would not right. consider them grunge okay well sure but i've heard them like do some covers of like um they did, did a cover of mc5's kick out the jams which is awesome yeah uh, they, i saw them during the rose festival when i lived in uh portland back in 2003 2004 something like that i saw them play for free which is pretty cool they did um they did a cover of like uh uh, the cover of a few Beatles songs, which were amazing. I was like, wow. Because I, I, I didn't know they had that kind of range. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you said, they they normally do these, like, you know, really quick pop, peppy little, you know, two-minute biddies, and they're, and they're out. So I didn't know they had the, the same kind of range to be able to experiment with Beatles covers and whatnot. It was pretty cool. I remember my roommate. 
I, I had numerous roommates because I just got sick of people and I would move on. Like, I want to keep this friendship, so I'm going to have to get a new person to live with. <laughs> um, but I remember I had a roommate for a while who, uh, IQ of a pumpkin. Nice guy, but IQ of a pumpkin. Turns out later he wasn't a nice guy. I heard all these horrible things that he did, like beat a cat to death with a tennis racket. And, and he was a security guard at, like, this youth mental facility, and he had sex with one of the underage girls. So I was like, ah, I can't talk to you anymore. Uh, um, I should report you to yeah. the cops. Um, but I remember he hated that song peaches and whenever he would piss me off i would play peaches as long as i could on repeat <laughs> i just lucky to go psycho on you man yeah oh, I hate peaches. oh he would get me I back hate the later fruit. i he, hate the song <laughs> he got me back one time because i uh i uh, took a squirt gun and i took the eye hole out of the door and i took a super soaker and I shoved it through the doorway, and he was just kind of sitting there playing checkers, and I sprayed it through the door, and I thought it was really funny. When it turns out, he decided to dump my entire mattress with bucket after bucket after bucket of water. So I couldn't even sleep in my room for, like, days on end until it dried out. And it was oh, yeah. very, Holy very shit. rough talking to him for a while. Wow. Like, it yeah, was just... dude, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, last few bands here. Hole, of course. Hole. Uh... Do you think they would be known on their own, like as big as they were, or do you think it's because of the Nirvana connection? Definitely, I, I was aware of them before before um, her relationship with Kurt Cobain. Um, Courtney, Courtney Love, that is, but yeah, definitely, he he, he definitely catapulted her into like you know stardom. I, I think their cover of Black and Gold Dust Woman from uh, The Crow Two. City of Angels is one of the finest remakes I've ever heard. In fact, I think it's better than the original. Um, but that's about it. They're an okay band. Okay. I never really thought that they were like a big deal that should have been talked about as much as they were. But like you know, because of notoriety, that's the only really reason they uh, they knew who she was. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. I got Silver Chair, which I can't remember what they uh, sang. Uh, I I know the I'll wait to tomorrow. Oh shit, that's right. That I remember a song yeah. they had way after that where it was walking on a thin line, which wasn't even grunge at all. This is like in, like years after, like 2006 or something. They were really young. See, I remember that I being remember, like a big deal. I, I remember when they came out, and I really I thought they were like an Australian ripoff of Nirvana. Yeah, and you looked just they like probably them. weren't. Yeah, exactly. Like they they nailed the look down. <clears throat> the, even the sound. I mean, it's not like is like raspy as Kurt Cobain's voice, but they, it seemed like that's what they were trying to go for. So, I, like, immediately, probably unfairly, I had my arms crossed like, nope. <laughs> shake my head, like, I'm not, I'm not, you're not fooling me, silver chair, you know. So, but yeah, I, I hear they were, they were like a huge, they were huge in Australia before they broke into America. So, perhaps I unfairly judged them, you know, they had a few other songs. But, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I could be so quick to, like, you know, throw them in with the whole grunge, uh, the whole grunge movement, even though they came around, like, the later, uh, they came around the dying embers of grunge, so, people... Yeah, you know. Smashing Pumpkins is a weird band because I would say their first album has a lot of that feel of grunge. And I guess technically, if you want to look at Bush, mm -hmm. their first album was a little grungy. But um, Smashing Pumpkins, I think, is like that last gasp of uh, yeah. grunge music that went mainstream. And 1979 is kind of like that one where you're like, oh, well, they just sold out. They got a new producer. They got a lot of studio money. I mean, it does not sound like grunge at all. But I remember being, I loved this song so much, and it would not go away. This is definitely not grunge. You know what I think changed everything was Weezer. Weezer and Green Day. 
they changed what alternative music yeah. to be more pop friendly and like this weird formula. Yeah, <clears throat> so like it seemed like they made it okay to be like pop and uh, silly. You know what I mean? Like it was okay to do that again. It was okay to like you know, like laugh and be goofy. You know, I'm not saying they were, but you know, it's like you know, you don't take yourself so seriously anymore. Yeah, you know? well, it's it's also uh, mm-hmm. different from the hair metal. Uh, have fun whereas hair metal seem to be about like this frivolous shit like uh you know just uh instantaneous well, sex it, 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 it was about like 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 living like a rock star yeah, yeah. that's what it was about whereas them. weezer and green day embrace being the misfit the, the weirdo the outcast right yeah like you know the, the, what they're trying to say is like we were never douches just because we have money doesn't and we, we had success and fame and we're like you know quote unquote rock stars doesn't mean we're you know, technically rock star douches, like, like, like the kind of like you know that people would celebrate back in the day, and then that people like Kid Rock would like you know yearn for. Like, oh, I miss the days of rock star douchery. Can't <laughs> wait. To, you know, when I become famous, I'm gonna become a rock star douche too and celebrate it just like they did. <laughs> yeah, and that that's something that's been mocked heavily. I've never seen anybody really. Uh, mock grunge music because it was sincere. Except for there was a sketch on the Ben Stiller show. Do you remember this? Where they they did a parody of the monkeys and grunge and they call them, hey, hey, we're the grungies and then just like, they're kind of like, yes, hey, man. totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And then like the one guy, like just hair in his face, like never to like just mumble stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah that's it. exactly what we mean. <laughs> uh well, I think we've pretty much come to the end of this episode. Is there anything else you want to discuss before we go? No, I think out of all the – I've pretty much covered all the bands I could think of. I'm, I'm sure once we end this episode, I'm like, oh, shit, there's like five others. But yeah. for now, that's all. <laughs> I, saw it, uh, I saw it popping into my uh, you know, uh, quickly producing uh, short-term memory. Um, so I've noticed that our show has become kind of a pop culture show. Are you – cool with that i don't know i don't know if the audience is cool with that i it seems like we went from like kind of life experience to well i mean pop culture and life experience kind of interact because that's what your teenage years are is especially music music's so important like the tv shows come and go but music seems to be very of that moment well i mean to act like uh you know grunge rock didn't influence other music that we also listen to would be i'd be acting like it didn't influence us i mean it's just you know there was other music that was playing around that was influenced by it that was similar to it so we would have to act like we didn't. We ignored everything else that came on the radio and only focused. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it seems like it'll be doing that that time period a disservice. You well, know? there's there's two particular types of music that if you look at television and film at that time, that it was heavily influenced by hip hop, not gangster rap, hip hop, and alternative music. I was watching Airborne the other day. Do you remember the Rollerblade movie with Seth Green? Oh, was was um? Which was the one with Corey Haim? Was he? Oh, uh, that's Prayer of the Roller Boys. That's that's a little that's a little influence, okay. but that's from '91. That's right before grunge really broke through. If you watch Airborne, and then there's a movie called Brain Scan with Edward Furlong, and everything you watch there, and you okay. just go, "Oh my God, me and my friends look and acted just like this." <laughs> like the astonishment. Oh, we don't we don't have to get on skateboards. We don't have to do the four wheels on our roller skates. We can do roller blades. Oh, oh, we don't have to do video games on cartridges. We can do video games on CD-ROMs. What? We call 1-800-NUMBERS to get yeah. info? <laughs> you have to check that out, Airborne. With, uh, so it's with Seth Green and Jack Black? Yeah, it's it's highly entertaining. It's it's kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> it's a little frivolous, but I, I've seen it like 80 times, and it never gets boring. Well, definitely check that out. 
All right, um, so I'm thinking for the next episode, we talked about this. It's almost time for the 30th anniversary of the Fox Network. Uh, we could do that, or we could go back to something uh, we touched upon about a year ago, is talking about work sucks. I did an episode where I talk about my first jobs. You want to talk about your first job? Me, any crazy stories or incompetence on your own part? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I mean, there's been plenty of fucking up work-wise, so yeah, no problem. I, I'm I got material for that for days, for sure. All right, we'll do that next, and then we'll do the Fox. I don't, I don't want to be all pop culture. Oh, no worries. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. And I'm going to finish this up with, now I said Smashing Pumpkins is the last band of the grunge movement, but I think this is the last song of the grunge movement. This came out at the end of 95, and I got to tell you, once 96 hit, everything changed. You're talking to Everclear. You're talking to Urge Overkill. You're talking to all these other bands that have changed things. You know, Django Rock had taken over. This is the Toadies, Possum Kingdom. Oh, nice one. You know, we could do a whole episode about one-hit wonders, and this would count. But then we wouldn't have much information to talk about it with them. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> God, the song wouldn't go away. It's so good. Round the lake.